If you'll join me in turning in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack there in front of you. We're going to be continuing in our study of the book of Hebrews today, looking at Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Uh, we've had a couple of weeks uh, out of this book, so just as a reminder of what we've seen so far in the book of Hebrews is the writer has made it very clear that Jesus is supreme, that He is supreme over all creation. He's supreme over the angels. He's made it clear that He is the full and final revelation of God to us. We've seen the supremacy of Christ, and then we've seen the the call for us to enter into God's rest. The writers called us back to the Exodus and how the people were not able able to enter God's rest because of their unbelief and their disobedience. But, But we today can enter into God's rest As we trust Jesus Christ. It is through Christ and through Christ alone that we can come into this rest. And so now as we continue in our study, we'll see how the writer of Hebrews here is making it very clear that that Jesus is indeed great. And he's the great high priest. And we're going to spend some time looking at this today and in the coming weeks as he unfolds this in this passage. But for today, we're just going to look at a couple of verses, verses 14 through 16. Of Hebrews 4. So hopefully you're there by now. And if you don't mind to stand out of reverence for God's word as I read God's word for us this morning. This is what the Holy Word of God says. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you would pray with me. Lord, we thank You that You are a God who provides for us in our time of need. At the right time, Jesus died for our sins. At the right time, Lord, You have given us Your Word that we might learn from it and be accountable to it and grow from it. So Lord, I pray today as we look to this Word that You would indeed use it for us in our time of need. Whatever that need may be today, whatever that need may be tomorrow, that our trust and our hope would be in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. But Lord, this will take a work of your Holy Spirit in us. And so we pray for that work now as we look to your word together in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, before we dig into this passage, I want to share just a a personal note Uh, Many of you know uh, that we've been going through quite an ordeal with my father's health. It started uh, back on June 14th on a Friday. I was uh, working in my yard. I got a phone call from my dad and he let me know that a routine CT scan had showed uh, a a troublesome spot on his lung and on his back that they thought might indicate cancer. That scan led to other scans and other tests and Within about three weeks, uh, Dad had lost, for the most part, his ability to walk. 
We found out that was because cancer had gotten into his T4 vertebrae and collapsed it. It was putting pressure on his spinal cord. And so uh, two weeks ago on Friday, we were in the office of a spinal surgeon in Louisville, Kentucky. He took uh, one brief look at dad's scans and said he was admitting him to the hospital immediately. And the next day, uh, for most of the day, he was in surgery. Uh, We have learned over the last couple of weeks that dad has a very aggressive form of small cell lung cancer that has spread from his lung to his lymph nodes to his back. And so uh, he was released from rehab early. We came home yesterday so that we can go to Louisville tomorrow and get a port in and start the process of chemotherapy. Uh, Dad's spirits are very good. He is at peace with the Lord, and I'm very thankful for that. And my hope rests in that. It was 24 years ago uh, this month that my dad placed his faith in our Lord Jesus, and that brings me greater comfort than any doctor's report or any scan. But I do ask that you pray for my father, that you pray for what we are going through as a family. And so I share that as a personal thing today to ask you to pray, but I also share it to bring glory to God and to shine a light on his providence. It was two, excuse me, three years ago that I was blessed to have a sabbatical for about four weeks. And during that time, one of the things I did was took some time to think through the next 15 years of preaching. My prayer is that God would allow me to stay in this pulpit as long as you will have me. And at that moment, at least, I felt I had at least 15 years. And so I was working through a preaching plan, and part of that preaching plan came to the book of Hebrews. And then in God's providence, we've started this study in Hebrews a few months ago. And if you've been with us as we've been walking through this book together, we've seen this this constant reminder of the supremacy of Christ and this call to, to enter into this rest that God offers. And so I've, I've shared multiple times how uh, there's a rest that you can't get from sleep. There, there's a soul rest. There's a, there's a rest that, that Christ offers us and calls us to enter into. And then on this Sunday in God's providence, we find ourselves in this text that talks about how we're to respond and what it is God has to offer us in our time of need. And as I consider that, as I've studied <clears throat> for today, I can't help but just think about God's providence that years ago as I started to, to walk through what I'd be preaching on this Sunday, God knew providentially exactly what I would be experiencing, what you would be experiencing, and what we needed to hear from His Word. And so I pray uh, that His Word will bless you today because it certainly has blessed me over the last few weeks. Because this text in particular, yeah, that phrase has just continued to, to, to grab my heart. That this time of need. Some of you, you know what that means. You, you're in a time right now in your life when, when you have a great need, where you've been overwhelmed. And that could be from a number of things. That could be from illness and suffering. That can be from, from just the effects of sin and, and temptation and the fallen world we live in. Some of you are coming out of seasons right now where you've just been in this great time of need. Others of you, that may, might not be where you're at now or, or where you've just been, but it, it may be where you're going Trust me, we we don't know what tomorrow holds. But we can know the God who holds tomorrow. And what He tells us in His Word is that He has this this very present help. He has this very timely help for us. He, He offers us His grace and His mercy all the time. But we can experience it especially in these times of need. And so, 
Now today, we're going to gravitate towards the more practical end. You can see there in your outline some pretty short points. Part of that's because I haven't slept a whole lot in the last few weeks. Um, in fact, I just slept. I went in my office and took a nap during Sunday school. Some of you sleep during my sermon, and I understand that more now. Because um, I totally just slept in there, and it, it was great. But, but these simple short points, I hope, uh, will give us kind of a roadmap. Because when we find ourselves in this time of need, when, when we find ourselves hearing these promises and reading these promises from God about this, this rest that He offers and entering into the rest, there's, there's a practical application of that. Of How do we do that? Well, what steps do we take to enter into this rest? And I think this text offers us some of those. And so, that there is so much in Hebrews about Jesus as a great high priest, and we're going to touch on some of that today, but, but more is definitely to come in the coming weeks as we walk through this passage together. So, for today, a short point, beginning with the first one there. What, what should we do in our time of need? Well, the first thing we're to do is to hold fast. To hold fast. Verse 14, the writer says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Since this is the biblical reality of what we've been offered, then he says, let us hold fast to our confession. That the very first thing he says in this time of need we're to do is to hold fast to this confession. Well, what is that confession? Well, that, that goes back to the beginning of the verse. He's reminding us here that our confession is rooted in, founded in, it stands on who Christ Jesus is. Jesus is our confession. Our faith in Christ is our confession. What we know from His Word about Christ, this is our confession that we're to hold to. Again, he calls our attention to this role of the great high priest. Now, for those of you who are with us during our study of Exodus, we, we looked at what God established in the Old Testament, that this picture of the high priest, and, and one of the things we see there with the high priest is annually on the Day of Atonement, it was the high priest who would enter in and make this atoning sacrifice, uh, this, this offering, sacrificial offering on behalf of the sins of the people. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And so, before this, this priest could offer this atoning sacrifice, first they had to make a sacrifice for their own sins because that they were sinners. And then if you remember that, that picture we have in the Old Testament of the tabernacle, there was that, that outer wall, that veil. So first they would go in through there, and then there was that, that holy place, and they'd enter into the holy place, and then there was that veil to the holy, holy place, the holy of holies where the mercy seat was, where the, the, the blood was then placed on the mercy seat to make that, that sacrifice before God in His presence. And so this high priest would go through those three entrances and, and this was a very reverent thing. This wasn't something just anyone could do. It was a special office and it had to be treated with extreme care. But it was done year after year after year after year. And so you see, I hope, the contrast here that the writer of Hebrews is giving us is they say that, that Jesus is our great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Now this picture we have of the high priest in the Old Testament passing through those veils and going into that holy place where they would remain for just a short amount of time. And then they would come back out. Jesus has passed through the heavens. We, we see this in the ascension 
as the disciples are marveling that Christ has ascended, Christ has gone to the heavens, the writer of Hebrews says, He's the great high priest who's now sat down at the right hand of the Father. And that picture you have of the tabernacle, there's, there's no chair. There's no priest sitting down. Why? Because the work was ongoing. But here we have this picture, this, this reminder, this great reality that the work is finished. That Jesus' work on the cross was once and for all accomplished. It was done. He died in our place. And this is our confession. If we have indeed come to know Christ as Lord. Friend, if you have come to know Jesus, if you have turned from your sin and repented and, and confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, this is the confession we hold to you. Jesus, truly man, truly God, lived a sinless life. The writer here reminds us he, he was tempted as we are, but, but was without sin. He lived a sinless life. He lived a life in perfect obedience to the Father. He went to the cross and He died on the cross in our place. He conquered death and rose from the dead. He sits at the right hand of the Father and He intercedes for us and one day He will return and He will take us in to the land of promise. To a new heaven and a new earth. This is our confession. And so the writer here reminds us that when this time of need comes, when, when whatever it might be comes, whether it's suffering or temptation or weakness, he, he says first, we need to hold fast. Now that phrase comes from one Greek word. It means we need to seize. We need to hold on to it. We, we need to lock our hands on it and get it in our grip and not let go of it. You may have seen a picture of this as I have. I've seen it several different times in, in news coverage when there's been a, a natural disaster. Particularly, I remember one case where there were floodwaters that were rising and they had just, they had just swept through this town. And there was aerial footage from this helicopter and there was a, a man who was just swept from his home and swept through these floodwaters, but he had managed to, to just lock his arms around a tree. And he was holding on to that tree for dear life. I mean, that tree, was, it was literally pulling the clothes off his body, the force of the water coming by. Debris had hit him, had scarred him, and bruised him, had just torn him up. But this man was holding on to that tree and he wasn't going to let go of that tree. And so as the, the, the helicopter's hovering over and as the emergency workers are descending, they're trying to get him off this tree, but he's not going to let go of this tree. Because that tree is life for him. As long as he's holding on to that tree, he has life. He's not going to get swept away by those floodwaters. That tree in that situation, that's what's going to save him. Do you see the picture here? The writer of Hebrews says, we are to hold fast our confession. We are, we are to remain faithful until the end. We are to hold firmly to the truth of God's Word. And this is how we experience His grace and His mercy in our time of need. But oh, how we long for other things so often in our time of need. I mean, so often you, you see it, maybe you've experienced it, where... When suffering comes, crisis comes, great temptation comes, weakness comes, whatever it is, many times it's not the Lord that we run to. Many times it's the Lord we run from. And there might be all kinds of other things in our life that we run to. For some, they, 
They just bury themselves in work. Just put their focus on something else and just, just become workaholics because, because that's something they can control. For others, it's a, a whole list of vices and substance abuses. And for others, it's just relationships and other things. But, but there's something we, we long for and look for in those moments to, to fill this emptiness that we're experiencing. But you see, God has put that there for a reason. And he, He's the only one that can fill it. And all these other things, they literally just sweep us away with the flood, but, but He has given us a surety in Christ that if we will hold tight to our confession, then we can experience His grace and mercy. And the great news is this, as we hold tight, we find that it's not just us holding on to Christ, but it's Christ holding on to us. <laughs> It's not just a picture of this man holding on to a tree. It's a picture that God has His arms around us, that He's holding firmly to us. We've talked about this in recent weeks. I shared the picture there. Many of you have experienced this as parents, grandparents, caregivers of you know, walking with a small child through a grounded place, through maybe a dangerous place, near a road or whatever it might be, where you're just holding firmly to their hand. And you tell them what? Don't let go of my hand. But you know, it doesn't matter if they let go because you're holding tight. You're not going to let go of them. We are called to hold fast, but the truth is, Jesus is holding fast to us if we are in Him. And that's what He says in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they know me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. We have this security, this, this surety. He goes on to say that we're in the Father's hand and no one's going to snatch us out of the Father's hand and He and the Father are one. And so we see that. And then the biblical reality that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So we, we, are, we are held by Him. And our call is to hold on to Him. And hold on to our confession. He goes on to say, point two, that we're to have confidence. Have confidence. Again, verse 15 and 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Again, there's this picture we have of Jesus that, that He knows what it is to be weak. He, he knows what it is to be tempted. And we can tend to kind of glaze over this and think, well, you know, Jesus was sinless. And what does he know about temptation? We, we tend to think that it's those who sin greatly who must know so much more about temptation. But the biblical truth is, is the more that one sins, the, the less you really know about temptation. Because you don't get tempted, you just go straight for sin. You don't experience overwhelming temptation because you just go straight into it. I mean, think, think about this. Which is harder for us? To, to hold our tongue or to just unleash it? <laughs> which, is, which is harder? Which, which takes more self-control? For us to hold back from the sin and not do it or just jump right into it? And so the, the biblical picture we have here of Christ is here we have Jesus Christ who who knew what temptation was. He was truly God and truly man. And yet, He never sinned. It says He was tempted in every respect as we are tempted. That doesn't mean that Jesus was tempted with every exact temptation 
that you and I have ever had or ever will have. You know, Jesus was never on the Snyder at 5 o'clock traffic, you know, being tempted to say or do things that might not be in line with being a Baptist preacher or a Christian for that matter. But Jesus knew, Jesus knows what it is to be betrayed and to be scoffed at. and He knows every kind of temptation we might face. And this is particularly helpful for us when we're in the midst of a trial or or suffering or a time of need because it's at those moments that we can begin to feel rather isolated or if no one understands. We can, in those moments, be tempted to be bitter towards God and feel abandoned by God. Who better knows that temptation than Jesus? Who better knows what it is to walk through suffering than Jesus? And yet we see in Jesus, He never sinned. He is able, though, to sympathize with us in our weakness. And so the writer says, because because of this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He says here, because of this biblical truth, we we are to have a confidence, a a boldness, a a courage, a a fearlessness when we face adversity and trial and suffering and weakness. He says we're to respond to our time of need with confidence. But I want you to see here that this is not self-confidence. This is Christ's confidence. And we, we, we need to distinguish between these two things because, because we live in a culture and, and even times in the church where we're prone to encourage others in their adversity to have more self-confidence. So you hear people say things like, well, you're going to make it. You're strong at heart. You press on. We, we know you can do it. God never gives us more than we can handle. and He knew you could handle this. But friends, that's not what this is saying. This is saying, the writer here is saying, no, we, we need to have a confidence rooted, a confidence rooted in Christ. And there's something about when we're overcome with weakness that, that we can more clearly see this. But we need to be careful in the way we give our encouragement. I remember particularly when God blessed us with our youngest daughter with Caroline. Many of you know Caroline's doing great now, but we had some challenges there early in her life, and we were in the hospital quite a bit and in and out of doctor's offices and surgeries, and, and those were really, really hard, hard days. I can remember multiple times during that season of our life, we would have well-meaning believers come to us, and they would say things like, you know, God... God knew just what He was doing when He gave you Caroline because you and Sandy, y'all are so strong. You you have such great faith. God couldn't have picked two more perfect parents in the world for her and what she's going through. And and, and honestly, looking back, I don't remember what I said. I'm hopeful I didn't say much, but I I know what I thought so often in those times. was, no, I'm, I'm not strong at all. I'm not the perfect parent for this. I feel like the worst parent for this. I don't know if I'm going to survive this. I don't know that I can make it through this. 
And that wasn't the last time I felt that way. Maybe you felt that way at times. When, when you're just so overwhelmed, you feel, I, I, don't, I don't have what it takes. I don't think I'm going to make it. But friends, that, that, that is God's gift to us in those moments to realize we don't have to have what it takes. And the reality is, we don't have what it takes. That the Gospel is not a self-help book. That the Gospel is not a self-confidence boost. That the Gospel is this, that when we are weak, He is strong. That we don't boast in our strength. We boast in the strength of Jesus Christ. It makes no sense to the world around us. But is the Gospel truth? And so if you feel overwhelmed today, if you feel weak in the midst of trial and adversity and suffering, then glory be to God because it's in our weaknesses that we can see His great strength and His mercy and His grace. That's what Paul writes of in 2 Corinthians 12 where he is sharing about this, that this weakness, this trial, this adversity in his life that we, we don't fully know what it was, but we know that he pleaded with the Lord to take it away from him. And this is what he writes about that. 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power made perfect in weakness. So Paul says this, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, and insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's Christ's confidence. And that's what we need in our time of need. We need to hold fast to our confession. We need to have this, this confidence that's rooted in Jesus Christ and in what He has done and will do. And then third, what we need to draw near. We need to draw near. Verse 16 let us then with confidence. So we, we hear these truths. We hear this call. We're to hold fast to the Gospel and to the truth of God's Word. We're to have our, our confidence in Jesus, our great High Priest, who, who knows what it is to be tempted, who can sympathize with us in our weakness. Our confidence is rooted in Him, not in ourself. And with this understanding and this reality, we are to draw near. Then let us... Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Again, that phrase means just at the right time. At the right time. Right, right when we need it, we find that grace and that mercy. And we have confidence in this as we draw near. Again, the imagery here takes us back to that picture we have of the Levitical priest, of the great high priest, of the one who would go before God's throne. Only the priest could go. You'll remember there in the Old Testament in our study, especially in Exodus, there was a separation between God and the people because of sin. And so when God speaks to Moses on the mountain, the people couldn't be there. That there was a separation. There was actually a barrier at the foot of the mountain. If you remember, if they crossed that barrier, if their animals crossed that barrier, they would die immediately. 
that there was this distance between God and His holiness and man and their sinfulness. There, there had to be a mediator who could go before God on behalf of sinful man and go before man on behalf of a holy God. And so we have this picture in the Old Testament of Moses. We have this picture of the priest, but ultimately it points us to Jesus Christ, the great high priest, now through whom we have access to the Father. So now we can go up the mountain. And now we can go before the presence of God. Now He invites us to come to Him, to draw near to Him. And what is it that we do? I believe what the writer of Hebrews here is saying is that we we draw near in prayer. We go and we, we, we pray. We come into the presence of God. We respond to this truth by pleading and crying out and, and coming into this presence. Ultimately, one day in a new heaven and a new earth, this will be our reality. We will be there in God's presence. And for now, we have access to Him through Jesus Christ. And maybe you've been in a situation before where you've, you've been around someone important or in a place of importance and you saw there were restrictions. Who could go where? My family went to our nation's capital a couple of years ago and as we were there in the capitol buildings and we went into the White House, there's all types of barriers and there's all types of restrictions on, on who can go where. And, and, and I revere these offices. I understand they're, they're important government officials. We should pray for these folks, but... These are people that we don't even have access to. And the picture here is that for the Christian, we have access to our Creator God. To our our Sovereign God, we have access. We, We can enter in. Through Jesus Christ in our time of need, we can enter into this this presence. And there, as we draw near to this this throne of grace, it says we receive mercy and we we find grace. And so here's where we find everything that we need. That's this mercy and this grace that God offers us through His Son, through Jesus Christ. Are, Are you drawing near to Him today? And your time of need is your reaction to that usually to, to draw near or to move away. And we've seen that. We've seen so often when, when adversity comes. When many people, they, just, they go the other way. There, there's people that were once here with us in these pews that aren't in this church or any other church today. Because when, when things got hard, when trials came, when... When suffering came, when great temptation came, they, they shook their fist at God. They looked at God as if He had broke some cosmic deal that they had made up in their mind that if they just lived a certain way and did certain things that, that God owed them. And when God didn't pay out like they expected, well, they said, I'm done with you, God. Our temptation is to do this. And yet here, notice the the instruction is to go the opposite way. It's to come into God's presence in the midst of our time of need. Our temptation in those times is to be anxious and try to fix everything and be self-confident and self-dependent. But the Scripture says, no, that's where we find our confidence is in Christ. That's where we find our, our dependence is in Christ. That's when we are drawn near and come into the presence of God. 
And again, we do that as we pray and as we seek Him. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. This, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, okay, so, so in every circumstance, what we are not to respond in anxiety and to be anxious. Rather, we are to go to God in prayer. And what do we do? We make our requests known to Him. I find that in times of great Suffering, believers often struggle with what to pray for. We're not sure what to pray. And I think part of it is we feel this pressure that somehow we have to know what's going to happen in the future and only pray according to what's going to happen in the future. Or somehow it appears that we don't have right faith or our motives were misaligned. And yet, what does God's Word say here? It says, and all these things that normally would just make us anxious and everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. He doesn't put a limit on that. He doesn't say put a bunch of clauses on that. Make your request known. Well, what's the desire of your heart here? What, what do you want to see here? What, what do you hope happens here? Then, then pray for those things. You, you don't know the future. I don't know the future. But, but if it's not something that's directly contradicting God's Word or goes against what God's Word said, then by all means, let those requests be made known. Notice what else he says. So he says, make these requests known, but he doesn't follow that up with, and then God's going to answer your prayer and do everything you ask for. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does he do? He brings us back to Jesus. And he says, here's what's going to happen as you make all those requests known. He doesn't say how he will answer each of those requests. But what does, he does say is that he's going to give us peace. And that peace is rooted in the promise of God's word. That, that peace is rooted in Jesus Christ. He gives us grace and He gives us mercy and He gives us peace. But friends, we're not going to have that peace if we're shaking our fist at God. We're not going to have that peace if we're moving farther away instead of closer to. And so the call from God's Word, the reminder to us today is that we are to hold fast and to have confidence and to draw near. But we are reminded that we are often tempted to go astray and to go the other way. And we're tempted in moments of weakness to think that somehow this world will offer us comfort. But it offers us false hope. One who knew this very well was John Newton. Many of you know who that is. He wrote the hymn Amazing Grace that we're going to sing in just a moment. He was born in 1725, and he was raised in a home that taught the Word of God. He heard the Word of God preached, and yet he, he ran from it. He sought to live a life of just utter immorality, and so at a young age, he went and joined the British Navy, and then he fled the Navy in one pursuit after another, just seeking to indulge himself in whatever way he could. He ran from God, but God did not run from him. God pursued Newton. And ultimately, he was overcome with God's grace and mercy and he responded to the gospel of Jesus and he went on to become a great evangelist and preacher and 
wrote a great hymn that we're about to sing and, and believers all over the world still sing today. His life was not free from adversity. He had many trials and towards the end of his life as he struggled with his own health, he, he couldn't remember much. Which helps you then to understand one of the last things he said was this. My memory is nearly gone. But I remember two things. That I am a great sinner. And that Christ is a great Savior. And that's it, friends. That, that's our confession. Well, we are great sinners. And we have a great Savior. Are you drawing near to Him today? Are you trusting in Him today? Are you experiencing His amazing grace today? And if you're not, then friend, turn and repent and draw near and trust in Him. And so we're going to give you the opportunity to do that as we respond to God's Word, as we sing and pray and respond in whatever way God's led us. So if you would stand together as I pray for us. And as we prepare to sing about this amazing grace that God has for us. <coughs> Father, as I consider those, those dying words of Newton, I'm reminded that for me and others here, we, we don't know tomorrow. We don't know what the future holds. We, we don't even know what the rest of today holds. But Lord, I know this. I am a great sinner. And Jesus is a great Savior. And so, Father, thank you for saving me and saving so many who are here today. And Lord, I pray for any who's yet to experience the saving work of Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would do whatever it takes to bring them to faith, to bring them to repentance. Lord, that that might be the confession they hold to. That they would not hold fast to a false hope, a false confession, a false thought that somehow their good works, their merit, their good name will bring them into your presence. But Lord, help them to see that it's only through that confession that we are great sinners and that Christ is a great Savior. And through confessing Him as Lord and putting our hope and trust in Him, it's only through that that we'll be saved. So, Father, if there's any who's yet to make that confession, I pray you would do that work even now in their heart. And, Lord, for those who have, who, who have experienced great trials and times of need, who are in the midst of a time of need, who perhaps are coming up on what will soon be one, Lord, I pray for each of us that our response to that would not be to run from you, but it would be to run to you, to draw near to you, to have confidence in Christ, to hold fast to our confession. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to hold fast to that confession until our dying breath. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.